Welcome to Pop to the Lou, where we share hilarious, embarrassing, heartbreaking, and inspiring stories of living life with IBD. This is purely for entertainment purposes. This is not medical, health, or even life advice, so do not take anything we say seriously. This week, our theme is hidden illnesses. And instead of discussing IBD, we're actually going to be speaking with Sophie about her hidden illness. But before we get into that, let's do our mind and gut check-in. How are you feeling? Yes, fine, babe. All good here. I hate to say it, but I'm really annoyed that I'm actually saying this. Okay. When it's being recorded. I haven't drank for five weeks, right? Yeah. My stomach has been good as gold. I don't feel (laughs) stressed. I've never been so busy in my 37 and a half years on this planet and I don't feel stressed which is really weird and I genuinely think it's because I'm not drinking like seriously so that's annoying (laughs) (laughs) well we have a good Um, test coming up because you're going to be drinking again soon and then we can compare yeah so I've got a stag do hen do and two weddings over four weeks so um yeah that'll be interesting but yeah my stomach's been great I kind of feel quite resilient. I kind of feel like I can deal with everything being thrown at me at the moment. And I do think that there's probably quite a link with that. I'm making a point of still going out. Not too much because I've got loads on, but I'm not saying I'm not going to go see friends because I'm not drinking, if that makes sense. Because I think that's really important because otherwise you just become a recluse, don't you? Mm. Um, but I'm just in a real flow of just having water and peppermint tea with, with dinner if I go and see my lot. Yeah, it's been good. Played loads of tennis at the moment. So really loving that. Just working really hard, eating really well. And I just think I'm in a better kind of head and gut place. How are you feeling, babe? I'm good. I'm good. So of course, we film things in advance and today is the 13th of March, uh, which means I'm starting my new job tomorrow. So I I spent the whole weekend. Well, that's a lie. Yesterday I vegetated. (laughs) I took a trip to Sydney this week, which was amazing, but I'm still drinking and eating. So I ate too much. I drank too much. Okay. Well, that's about it. And then we did some shopping, went to the spa, that kind of stuff. It just caught up with me, but it was my first flight anywhere since 2019. That's insane. Absolutely insane. The longest I've gone in my entire life without flying because I started flying quite early. So yeah, that was painful, but I made it. It is 2022 and I am flying again and I'm addicted. So recovered from Sydney on Saturday and then on Sunday today, I've just been getting my life organized. It's so weird. I haven't worked from an office regularly since 2017, which is insane. Yeah. So it's been a while. So I think I'm just a little over eager to be like organized so that I'm not stressed out this week. Are you nervous about it working in an office again? Um, Am I nervous about it? I think it's going to be a change because... Um, I don't have to prepare anything. I just eat when I'm hungry. I cook whatever I feel like cooking. I'm not on any kind of routine. So I didn't want to have to get up. Welcome early to my like... life, Nice. <laughs> No. You wondered why I plan the hour of every day. It's only temporary, thank goodness. Uh, once I finish my onboarding and training and everything, then I can work remotely. But initially, it's just kind of good to, it's a new role. So it'll be good to be around people and kind of 
learn things quite quickly, hopefully being in the office. But yeah, so I did a lot of cooking today so that I have options because like I've said in an episode that probably hasn't been released yet, I don't like to be too rigid with planning meals ahead because I don't know how I'm going to feel. So some days I can tolerate a salad and other days all I want are potatoes. So I've made quite a few different options and I've organized so I have tons of snacks so that I have a wide range from like rice crackers to like nuts and energy bar things. Anyways, I can just like pick whatever I feel like in the morning that I want to grab through my lunchbox. I have basic fruit that I know I can digest, watermelon cut up and ready to go. Hopefully we'll see what works. Everything is pretty safe for the most part, but watch me not eat any of it and just end up eating like white rice every day for dinner. I think that's quite likely. So uh, I'll give all my food to Alex downstairs. He'll be happy and I'll have <laughs> rice and eggs, but we'll see how things go. It's good to prepare though, especially when you're back in the office, you're commuting, however long it is. I just think I always know otherwise... I'm more likely to just eat crap after work. Yeah. If it's not something that I can easily prepare or I've like like planned it, if that makes sense. Like I yeah. always try and get the, so, you know, I said on one of the episodes, like I really love Gusto boxes. Like I've used them for years now. Like I just adore them. They do like gluten-free things. Like they're just great. I just love them like recipes but I they have like 10 minute recipes as well which I just love because I'm usually just so tired after work that if I know I can cook something really nutritious and wholesome within 10 minutes and happy days planning and prepping is the best thing ever I know you hate to do it (laughs) but I promise you it saves it saves so much time overall and saves so much stress yeah definitely and I think because the things that I made are quite versatile and will last for the week that I can just eat them lunch or dinner wherever Um, and like I said I prepped a wide variety of things so depending on how my stomach's feeling that day I can just grab some rice crackers or I can grab something a bit more dense and nutritious and just go from there so it should be good other than that I feel ready it's going to be weird though I I don't even know what kind of computer they're giving me but I'm assuming it's not an apple that's probably going to be my biggest challenge bringing myself to work on a laptop that's not an apple I will be okay sounds really really stressful (laughs) it's honestly been since 2006 that I've been using um, MacBooks. So it will be an adjustment. Just think about how stressed you are of switching from a HP to a Apple. Yeah, I can't even turn on a, a Mac. So exactly, exactly. I, I, t- I totally understand <laughs> the other way around. Like, I, literally, that would give me anxiety. It's just because you get so naturally used to the shortcuts and stuff like that. And like, you just get so used to the technology that you use. It's like driving. You kind of just stop thinking about the little things. <laughs> That's a good comparison. You know what I you mean. Know, like the stop signs, <laughs> the traffic lights, the pedestrian. No. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, Indicating. like, it's like when you drive in different countries. So every time I'm in Canada, I'm so used to the turning signal to be on one side. So then when I come yeah. to Australia and I'm driving here, I'm putting on the bloody windshield wipers every time I want to turn the corner. And it's the most frustrating thing that you have to like actually everyone, start everyone thinking would be happy about. to know that Sarah does not have a car in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought it's just because she couldn't be bothered to get one. I'm now questioning whether she actually, in fact, has a license. I do. I'm actually a really good driver. I've never been in an accident. Anyways, moving on. I don't have a car at the moment, but that's only been recent. We'll be getting a new one. Don't you worry. Be driving your driving you everywhere when you come to visit. Don't rush. Thanks, babes. Shall we move on? So we were going to do our gratitude this week, weren't we? So the time in which Safe's episode is being released is a few days before Mother's Day in the UK. So we were just going to do a, well, obviously I'm English, so I was going to just do a kind of gratitude and shout out for all the mums out there and just kind of thank everyone for being so incredible. And when I say kind of recognising and 
and acknowledging mums. I mean, whoever you kind of see as your motherly figure or whoever has supported you in quite a motherly way. I certainly have quite a lot of my friends' mums who have brought me up, um, have been there through thick and thin. And I also always think of my amazing friends who are mums. uh, And I also always think of my amazing friends who no longer have their mums. I also wanted to do a little shout out for my guy friends who are single dads because I know that they take on the role of a mum and they're just awesome Uh, and also just a shout out to all the families out there that don't necessarily have a mum but parents take on multiple roles and have a different kind of looking family so grandmas same-sex parent the list is never ending but yeah I just want to do a massive shout out for everyone who gets the opportunity this year to celebrate with loved ones I know it's been a weird few years I think in England this is the first year that people can actually do stuff with their families I think off the top of my head because I think places were closed and there was restrictions in place the last couple of years so yeah I hope you guys have a really nice day if you manage to get out and see your family. Sarah you were asking me yesterday why England or the UK sorry has a different Mother's Day I found out for you. Oh amazing why? Yeah so England has a different Mother's Day to pretty much the rest of the world because in the UK Mother's Day is connected to Easter. The date of Mother's Day changes every year as the Easter date changes. So Mother's Day or Mothering Sunday originated as a religious celebration that takes place on the fourth Sunday of Lent and that's why that's interesting I found that out for you today yeah that's why it's different and that's why it changes every year yeah I was curious about that because I'm like I thought it was a different time when I was there but that makes so much sense now but yeah I quite I mean you know what I'm like about like people's birthdays and like special events for people so my little routine with Mother's Day and Father's Day every year is getting a bit expensive though now because all my lot have had kids (laughs) can everyone stop getting pregnant this is getting a little bit but I have since a kid sent all of like my friends mums cards because they've just been amazing to me and then my mates that have kids I've always sent them a mother's day card as well but again like do you know what I mean like 10 years ago that was all right (laughs) (laughs) like 2022 I'm I am one of like five of our lot that doesn't have kids so yeah so I'm just gonna get crapper cards I think to keep the cost down so yeah they used to be really nice now you're gonna get budget cards people (laughs) I vote that you send them pop to the loo mug personally mugs mate I send loads I've just said I send all my friends parents cards and all my friends who have kids cards it's trying to bankrupt me (laughs) but yeah so just a a massive gratitude for everyone out there who is either a mum or is a mum in a different capacity thinking of you all thank you so much all the amazing support that you give whoever you are supporting in your particular life and also to everyone you know make sure you pick up the phone send a text to people you know on mothering sunday to shout some love obviously again this is in the uk you all know who you are you all know how important you are and you all do an amazing job so thank you so so much love you all to bits happy mother's day to all of the motherly figures in the uk shall we crack on with safe's episode yes so in safe's episode we learned about how she got diagnosed with lyme disease how it completely changed her world. Sophie was absolutely incredible to sit down with. She's got her own podcast. She's got an amazing Instagram page. She's written three books. She's got an awesome website and blog. She does loads of stuff for mental health as well, which I obviously adore. Sophie is just a really positive, inspiring and gorgeous soul who we loved sitting down and talking to. And we connect with most days, if not weeks. 
weeks if not days and yeah it was just a really really insightful interview I actually I don't know about you Sarah but I actually found Sophie's interview really emotional uh, I was talking about it the other day there's a particular part that made me literally have goosebumps which was when when it was during the diagnosis period same even when she was telling the story to us I just you feel so frustrated for her and you feel her helplessness in the situation, which is really moving and unfortunate. And I think her being able to share her story will hopefully let other people know when they go through situations like that or in a similar capacity of some sort that they're not alone. They're not the only people that have been through that frustration. Um, And to also help encourage people to stand up for themselves and be their own advocates. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll link everything in in the description where you can find Sophie follow Sophie and kind of see how she manages her Lyme disease but she is she's just so positive she gives so much back to the community her Instagram posts are wicked so they're like a mix of her personal life and really informative statistics and information like I said she kind of goes into mental health as well which we all know your psychological health is so entwined with your physical health and yeah she's just brilliant like I just adore that girl to bits and we we kind of we connected with Safe right from the start of the podcast and she's just yeah she's just a really really bright uh, intelligent and funny and charismatic and warm individual and uh, it was an absolute pleasure to have her on the show and yeah she's got loads going on hasn't she Sarah you know from her books to her blogs you know she travels extensively as well which I love to follow she's she's actually in Boston at the moment so I'm loving all her pictures of she does so does the same as me when she's abroad she goes and watches loads of sport (laughs) and I love it because it's just such a good buzz and uh she's just putting up loads of pictures of really awesome food and stuff so I think she's just started her own jewelry range yeah she does discuss it I think at the end of the interview how she was starting that um and she was also a professional athlete growing up so she has accomplished a lot she's really inspiring considering everything she's been through and everything she continues to accomplish really hope you enjoyed the episode hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoyed filming it and yeah what an incredible story thank you so much so let's get into it You okay, they safe? Yeah, how are you? I'm tired this week. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I've got like 20 layers of makeup on. You know when you have those nights where you're exhausted, yeah. but there's just no hope? You just like toss and turn? You can't get comfortable. However you move, it's just so annoying. Yeah. And then you annoy yourself even more, don't you? Because you're like, I know I need a good night's sleep. We've done a little bit of stalking over you as well. You make it oh. sound bad when you say it like that. I know. I always say stalking. I'm so dodgy. But lovable stalking, obviously. Yeah. Could you give us a little bit of a background about Lyme disease and and what happened and stuff? I obviously know because I've been stalking you, but for all of our amazing followers. I used to be a big swimmer. That was my goal to swim at London 2012. That was what I was working towards. And at the time, she swimming said, you know, because it was Beijing Olympics, they said, go out to Beijing, watch the Olympics, so you know what you're going to do in four years' time. So it's like, fine, perfect. So I went out with my family, amazing, saw the games, everything really, really great. But then obviously, because we blew all that way, we're like, right, we'll just do some sightseeing and extend the trip. So we went to see the pandas. And of course, you go up, cuddle them, take a picture, everything fine. Straight after, I got back in the minibus to go on to move on to the next tour. And I was sweating buckets. I couldn't stop sweating. And I was like, this isn't normal for me like I don't feel very well went back to the hotel they called out a doctor and they just said that I had um, a fever 
and gave her two days worth of antibiotics. And I thought it was just a food because when you're in the Olympic Park, all there was was like Western food. So you had McDonald's and that kind of thing. But when we got out into China, it's proper Chinese food. And that is not like Chinese food over here. So I just thought I picked up something from the food. I had two days of antibiotics, felt fine, not an issue. Came back and then I had to retire from swimming at 16 because I got injured with like a hernia operation that went wrong and I had nerve damage from it. But when I was 16, I also started to struggle with like fatigue, migraines. I was getting Botox injections in my head. Like I was having like 34 Botox injections just to try and help my migraines because we know with sport, they're very funny about what you take medicine wise because so much is on like the ban list and whatever so I had that's my only way of relieving it then obviously when I finished swimming after I just couldn't I just couldn't keep up I just 10 two-hour sessions a week and three uh, gym sessions a week doing like an hour and a half each time on top of school and college I just couldn't keep up with it so when I was 18 that was when everything seemed to really take a nosedive like obviously a lot of people were turning 18 I couldn't go to the, their birthday parties normally people like pre-drink first then go out I was literally going to the pre-drinks for like an hour an hour and a half and I was like right I'm gonna have to go home like I couldn't go out because I couldn't tolerate alcohol and I just couldn't keep up with it I hit my wall after like an hour and a half I'm used to being an athlete and balancing school and like 24 hours of sport a week And now I literally can't get through like an hour and a half. And I was getting sore throats. I was getting water infections. I was getting stomach bugs. I was struggling to tolerate a lot of food. I was getting more intolerances by the day. I was losing a lot of weight. When I finished swimming, I was about eight stone 10. And when I was like 20, I dropped to like six stone. Doctors were like, you're just depressed. It's all in your head. And, you know, you've had to give up your career in swimming. And this is how you're like taking it out on everybody because you're just annoyed. And then you're like, like, thanks for that. (laughs) Yeah, that's really helpful. (laughs) Thanks for the advice, guys. When you go into the doctor's office and like, obviously I'd lost a lot of weight. It gets to you because everyone's so used to you being like the strong swimmer, really muscly. All the lads at swimming used to take the mick out of me because I used to be so broad and like so built up because I was a butterfly swimmer. So I was like all upper body. And when you've gone from that to so, so skinny and you've got the doctor saying, well, how do you feel about your body? And I'm like, literally, literally I hate it right now because I don't feel myself. But when I was 18, because I'd, I'd earned money from when I was swimming because I was on world-class program and London 2012 program. And at the time, my mum was like, just put it all in an ISA, freeze it. And then when you're like 18, 19, you can purchase your own home or do whatever you want with it. So when I was like 18 and a half, I moved out. Because of course, when you're swimming, you're so used to traveling so much. So I wasn't used to being at home all the time. And I found that very, very hard. So I really wanted my own place. But because I was having all these intolerances, Everything was making me ill. So it's getting to the point that I was kind of scared of eating because I was like, well, I'm on my own. And there's so many times where I was like collapsed in front of the toilet. I was being sick all night. And it's it's scary when you're on your own. A townhouse with three sets of stairs and my blood pressure was up and down because being sick and whatever all the time. So I was like, what if I fall down the stairs? But the doctors don't take that into consideration. They just think she's a teenage girl. She's lost a career. She's 
just anorexic. She's just doing it for attention. My mum, obviously, she was a big support and she was like, no, we need to get to the bottom of this because something's not right. And I went for an allergy test actually at my local hospital and they were like, oh, maybe it's chronic fatigue syndrome that you've got because obviously your migraines, water infections, sore throats, it could be that. So he gave me a number for a specialist down south. I said, right, we'll just go, we'll just do it. And he went through all of my medical history and like being ill abroad and whatever. And obviously brought China up and the fact that I've been ill abroad. And he was like, oh, right, okay. He's like, right, I need to do a blood test that needs to go over to Germany. I'm not going to tell you what I think it is, but just, just go with me. He's like, the test is very expensive, but I think it's worth doing. So I was like, right, we'll just do it because we've, we've been passed from pillar to post. And, you know, my consultant down there, he gave me like an hour and a half. And even before my appointment, he made me like track my pain, track my temperature, track the food, track what the reactions were. And I'd never had that before. Like I'd never had that amount of care. Anyway, a month later, I went back and he was like, yeah, you've got, you've got Lyme disease and you've got Coxsackie, which is how I made it go back to China because they had an outbreak of Coxsackie where like quite a few people died. So yeah, that's how I got diagnosed. And from that point, then had to like look at the ways I was going to access treatment because my body was so weak that antibiotics just shocked it too much. So I've had to go down the herbal route and I've I've stuck to that so far. What's the main treatment for Lyme disease usually? What's the kind of like generic go-to that the consultants and clinicians go down? Obviously, if you catch it early, they usually say two weeks, but now they say four weeks of antibiotics. Wow, okay. Four to six weeks if you still have symptoms or you still have the bullseye rash. Um, Whereas in the US, it's actually eight weeks of antibiotics. But obviously, it's gone beyond that month. And it's like obviously left your bloodstream and gone into like your cells and your organs. Then you're normally given like IV um, antibiotics. And this can go from like a month to like three months. But the issue is you become resistant to the antibiotics. So they have to keep switching the antibiotic that you're on. And that's something that I didn't really want to go down because it's expensive to have IV um, antibiotics. When I was first diagnosed as well, like I had it in my my mind it was right. I've got a diagnosis now. This is this is amazing. I can I can be cured in like a month because I'd gone through like almost nine years of not knowing what was going on in my body to finally be diagnosed. And I thought, oh my god, I'm gonna be cured. It's gonna be great. It took nine years. Twenty three by the time I got diagnosed. Oh my goodness, that's such a long time. Yeah. What are the warning signals or things that you, I guess, symptoms that you would see when you first get bit? Because you usually get Lyme disease through ticks, right? I don't think there's any other way to pick it up. Yeah. So normally it's like a bullseye rash. Obviously the dot in the middle with like the red circle outside, but only 50% of cases have a bullseye rash. So that's why sometimes it's very difficult because yeah. normally it's like headaches, fever and chills, joint pain. Sometimes sickness as well. Like I've heard a lot of people get quite sick. You know, they feel like they've got stomach flu. It's hard because, especially if you've got children and they come to you and you're like, oh, I've got a headache, mummy. And, and you're just like, oh, it's just a headache. But you don't know if they've been like rolling around in the grass when you've been having a barbecue or whatever. And they've been bitten by a tick because they're only the size of a poppy seed. You know, they get behind the ears, they get behind like your elbows and you don't yeah. often see them. They tell people to really check and check your children when they come in, check dogs and pets that come in as well. Because obviously 
they carry them back into the house. It's just been really, really like on it. And it's difficult, yeah. Sophie. It's like you said quite rightly, you were in China and actually we've spoken about it before on other episodes when you travel and when you're with, when you're in a new place and you're eating new foods and you're you've just flown you are probably going to have a headache because you're dehydrated your stomach's going to be all over the place because you're eating different foods or you've just been on a flight for however long so all of those symptoms are really transferable aren't they for loads of stuff that you probably would experience whenever you travel exactly and like obviously you know people get mosquito bites and, yeah. and get illnesses off mosquito bites as well But like you said, it's the very common symptoms. So you just don't think about it. You just obviously blame the travel or blame the activities that you may be doing. If you're feeling sore, achy, if you've been doing water sports, who knows? But you just don't you just don't think of it. You really don't. Oh, um, just one of the topics you touched upon. Did you say a water infection? I've never actually heard of that before. It's affected my kidneys so badly. And like at first it was just like water infections every so often. And now literally, especially in the past year, it's like every two weeks. Oh, safe. And they're the worst. And yeah. they make they make you feel so lousy as well, don't they? They're physically horrible to go through, but they make you feel mentally so lousy. I think I'm yeah. missing something still. Do I call it something else? What Do you call it, it a UTI, sir? Thank you're you. a new tract infection okay yeah. we've got there basically <laughs> clearly missing something <laughs> peeing razor blades sir <laughs> right got it got it <laughs> but, like my kidneys are probably gonna go like soon because like now I'm getting like blood and everything like that and the fact that they're all the time so that's always a worry to me and I always like joke about it with my boyfriend I'm like you're gonna have to give me a kidney and he's like that's fine I think that I really struggle with and I have struggled with since you know, I got poorly, but a lot of people obviously have different symptoms because they have different co-infections because when a tick bites you, it infects you with like up to six other infections. So that's why it's so hard to treat because you don't know what that person's body makeup is to begin with, what their weak points are that the infection's targeting, what other co-infections they've got on top of Lyme. Does Lyme usually target kidneys or, or can it literally be any organ so literally pretty much any organ it just it targets your weak points really so like for me it's my gut because my gut's just gone like if I have to have any antibiotics or antiviral they always try and do it through IV or injection because it's like bypass my gut because it just doesn't absorb it anymore um but yeah I know a lot of people that obviously have like heart problems and it like obviously heart failure and things like that and I have issues with my pancreas a lot of people are like the same people have had their gallbladder out because it's targeted their gallbladder do you kind of worry or do your clinicians worry about the impact that may have on other illnesses that arise from those organs not working as they're supposed to 100% I had three viruses that were attacking my vagus nerve about 18 months ago my consultant was like right we need to get you on an antiviral and we need to do it for about four days to try and get rid of them so it's like not a problem anyway like the antiviral was going in and then my kidneys started like going again and he was like right we're gonna have to stop because this this could cause like kidney failure if we're not careful and it's just things like that you just don't think about because you you want to try and treat something yeah. you know what you're targeting but it affects something else um so yeah it's 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 really difficult and you have to be really really savvy and I went to go and see him in November 
And he was like, oh, your, your throat's really swollen. Do you have a sore throat? Like, I'm, I'm surprised, you know, you can swallow. It's like, yeah, but I've, I've always had really, like, sore throats since the get-go, like, since, you know, I was 18 and I started coming out with a lot of symptoms. So anyway, like, he, like, tested me and stuff, and he was like, you've got meningitis and, like, strep throat, so you need to get some penicillin in you, like, straight away because it could be going to your brain, it could be going to your heart. And like I'd been saying to my mum for like, well, since probably mid-October, I was like, I'm not feeling very well. Like I'm struggling to like wake up in the morning. I just feel really fatigued. I'm getting rashes. And she was like, oh, you need to go to the doctors. Like, you know, it's no point like whinging about it. And when he turned around, he was like, I think you've got meningitis and strep throat. She was just like, oh my God. So he was like, I want to, I want to keep you here for six weeks and have like two injections of penicillin a week to try and get rid of it because to bypass the gut but it was so near Christmas and my birthday and I was like I really because obviously with Covid we didn't celebrate Christmas the year before and I was like I really want to be with my family and he's like yeah I I understand that and you don't want to be down here on your own over Christmas like while we do this so he gave me the strongest tablets he could and I was like taking like four a day for like six and a half weeks just to try and get rid of the infection but and can I just say though you go through all of this and have done for such a long time. And how amazing and positive and inspiring and motivational is your Instagram and your blog? And I didn't even realize you'd written three books until I was stalking you, obviously. And you've, but you've kind of used this disease to kind of educate, inform, raise awareness for everyone else, which I think is just an, an amazing thing to have done. Like, you know, you, you're, you're you're clearly like knackered and and really struggling with all of this stuff but how have you you know how have you continued to be so incredible for everyone else thank you that's really kind of you um for me I think when I stopped swimming I was at like the lowest point ever in my life like because swimming was my life like I didn't I wasn't like my other friends that had other hobbies or any other interests really because you you, you can't because you, you didn't have enough time to do that so when I came out of swimming I was like what am I going to do with myself like what can I do now I was so used to being so busy that when I had all this time in the world I was like I can't I can't deal with so many hours in the day and especially when you're going through so many symptoms like you just kind of want an escape I, I think I had probably probably up to pretty much when I got diagnosed really of being really low not knowing what to do with myself unsure like I tried traveling that really helped me to be honest because I learned about people it was like the first time like I got to experience people like outside of swimming outside of sport I got to hear about people's lives how different cultures worked and realized that everyone is fighting their own battle in their own way and then I kind of came back and I was like right I've got to make something of this battle and I've got to help other people like they've helped me like learn so much I kind of just thought right I don't want other people going through the hell that I've gone through so any way I can help I'll help and I tried to think about how well like what helped me and how I kind of process like content or like what I view and things like that and how I view it and how I read it and just try to piece it all together and like make something of it but also like try and raise awareness, raise funds. You'll be the same. You don't want people to go through the hell that you've been through. And exactly. That- 
so true just like you said so like we don't want anyone else to obviously everyone's going to experience trauma and go through things in their life but you know if we can hopefully make someone smile by listening to half an hour of us talking absolute rubbish that makes us kind of happy and yeah I think when you've experienced certain things yourself especially in relation to your health you know firsthand how you felt in so, yeah. so many different ways as well isn't it like you said with clinicians like misdiagnosing or you know kind of fobbing you off with certain things for nine years Sarah and I've been in those positions ourselves and it is it's really frustrating and you kind of you kind of want to remind people we've spoken to so many people already that I promise it's not just you this happened to me as well I was told that I was I had an eating disorder at 10 that's what my mum was told there was nothing wrong with me she's becoming a teenager so she's probably just messing around with food and it's really annoying. It's a really common thing that we find with loads of people who have reached out to us. Oh, yeah, I was told I had an eating disorder as well. And it's just to kind of make people not feel isolated, I guess. A hundred percent. And I think when I was first diagnosed and I took it back to my local doctor and they just refused to accept Lyme. They're like, chronic Lyme doesn't exist. And I was just, <gasps> oh, my yeah. God. What? So then they tried to section me. So they sent me a psychiatrist and my mum's like, so like, I think you're going to have to go in because if you go in on your own accord, I can get you out. But if they section you, you have to stay in there. When she dropped me, dropped me off at the hospital and I was just like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, because obviously the, these girls were like crying over food and stuff. And I was like, isn't me. And because they didn't think I, that I ate, they were like, right, we're going to put you on a like liquid diet. And I was like, what? No food. And they were like, yeah. So I dropped um, six pounds on top, on top of like the six stone that I was already at in five days. Cause they thought that I didn't eat. And then like, I remember like, they were like, right, we'll, um, we'll start you back on food something great this is amazing they gave me eight nuts and they were like this was on like on the Monday morning and they were like yeah you can have dinner on the Thursday afternoon and I was like what I've got to go another three days on a liquid diet and like no food and I found it so it was so horrible and it got to like two weeks and my mum like my mum was obviously on to my consultant was like they're not feeding her they're trying to like if, if they do give her anything it's like milk and because obviously they think you're bulimic or you're anorexic once you've had the food that they give you you have to sit for an hour in a lounge so that you're obviously not sick or anything like that <laughs> milk makes me really sick like I don't I don't have any um like I'm lactose intolerant basically they test me and I don't have the enzymes to break down lactose so I'm there like trying not to be sick and I'm like trying just to get through and it got to like two weeks and I just wasn't well and like my dad's very much like pushes it off he doesn't get involved but he said to my mum he was like I saw Sophie today and she's just like a ghost like she's not not her so that's when like my mum rang my consultant was like they're not feeding her they're just feeding her everything that she shouldn't have and he was like get get her out I came out and he was like right um you've probably like worn away some of your like cell membranes which is like going to be causing a lot of damage and he quoted us 13 grand's worth of infusions for eight weeks just to get me like right and I was like I don't a I don't have that money and b I've just been like locked up for like two weeks didn't think I was going to come out alive 
And like, it was about, I think it was about a week, week and a half before Christmas. And I was like, I just want to be with my family. You don't realise how mentally scarred you are from that because I, I couldn't stop eating. I thought like there was, my food was going to be taken off me at any point. So I was going through all of like cupboards and my mum was like, stop eating so much. Like you're going to make yourself feel sick. And I was like, but what, like, what if it's not there tomorrow? Like, do you know what I mean? I was like really fretting about it, but you don't, you don't think of it like that. It's a really traumatic experience. That's really, do you know what? That's so traumatic. So I, so Sophie, I work in the mental health services myself and, you know, I, I'm fully aware of how traumatic those situations are when people are being detained under the Mental Health Act and when people are going into inappropriate provisions in relation to a treatment program or, or approach it's that's really really traumatic even after two weeks like you said you can you can have quite institutionalized behaviors can't you yeah and like they put me on suicide watch as well so every five minutes to check on me I was having my blood pressure taken all the time because my blood pressure was low with Lyme it's it suppresses your um temperature my core temperature is like 33 the nurses just didn't believe me at all so they kept coming in with the thermometer and it was like 34 33 and they were like, put some clothes on. I was like, I was literally already had hoodies on because it was winter. And I was like, no, this is this is normal for me. Like I have a low temperature. And they, they threw all the temperature thermometers out and got all new ones because they didn't believe me. And it got to the point they were like, sit down, we can't keep taking it because it's just going to say the same reading. How did they say that you made up Lyme disease when you got the diagnosis from a doctor? Like you went to a doctor, they did a test, they came back and said, that's what they think you have. So where did they where did they put in that you made it up on your own? Like I had tests and I, I gave them like obviously over to Germany when a lab in Germany like tested them. Like it's not been done in the UK, it's been done abroad and it's been done through like a private practice that's like out of our region. And I was like, so like you weren't going to offer me the test. So I've had to go private. Like that's that's how it is. What got me more was that the doctor that I went to is actually a family doctor that I had known for like my whole life. And my dad had a serious heart attack about in 2009 when he, he nearly lost his life, basically. They gave him a 1% chance of living. And he was the doctor that came round when the ambulance came to help my, get my dad like down the stairs. And I just felt completely betrayed because like he was there for my dad there for our whole family to do that and then like obviously I go to him with this hoping that he was going to be helpful and caring and he just wanted to section me it's really horrible I think sometimes with clinicians and this is by no means us putting any clinicians down at all it's just experience isn't it that we're just discussing openly sometimes when it's diseases or illnesses safe outside of their remit or under or outside of their understanding or anything yeah. that they've dealt with before if you compare Lyme disease with a heart attack for example I'm sure that GP is so comfortable with dealing with anything cardiovascular yeah. Because it's their bread and butter, isn't it? Um, but Lyme disease, which again is quite, is still quite a newly spoken about disease, isn't it? Yeah. Again, I think it's easy for these kind of newer diseases that are coming out, especially with people traveling more worldwide, et cetera, um, for, for them to accept, you know, the diseases and, and where we need to go with them. And that's horrible for the individual that is diagnosed with it. Yeah, 100%. And I, I know that it's scary for them. And I know it happens with a lot of like rare diseases that if they can't get the textbook out and read it and think, right, I can't solve it with a pill. I can't read up on it. It's like, right, you're the one that's crazy. I remember going with a psychiatrist and you're like, right, it'll be a half an hour examination. 
I was in there for two and a half hours. I came out, I was exhausted. He said to me at the time, he's like, you're mentally, you're mentally saying like, I can't say that you're not because you are. But when I asked for the paper, um, because he's like, I'll I'll send it to your doctor. So I was like, right, okay, can I have a copy of the paper? I went to the local doctors, can I have a copy of the paper? To this day would never give me a copy of the report because obviously it said that like I was sane and like there was nothing wrong with me but he refused to accept it he just wanted me to go like and be sectioned because I'd gone in time and time again with all these different symptoms and they'd fucked me off they hadn't dealt with me they just told me that I was depressed because of my swimming that my headaches were just migraines probably through stress and that like my infections things were just infections and they didn't connect the dots and even though they they'd seen my decline they hadn't done anything until like obviously my weight got ridiculously bad it was like right she's anorexic that's just so frustrating isn't it and you know these are everyday symptoms as well so if you don't pursue it so there'd be so many people who could have serious illnesses but like you said you know again we're not putting anyone down but you are you're fobbed off with those everyday things aren't you the allergy tests and then you lose loads of weight and then someone says you have an eating disorder and it's obviously because you're low because there's been a significant change in your life you need to work on your mental health etc etc you know it's it's really worrying that such significant illnesses are missed yeah and like obviously like I understand that the health services are under immense pressure and they do work so hard and they are up against it because there's so many new illnesses that come up every year and to have to keep on top of it is very very hard but it would be really nice if they would be more understanding and even hold the hands up and say do you know what I don't know anything about this but you go to a specialist try and go private and get it sorted and hopefully get some help rather than dismissing it and like putting the blame on you because I think that's it just doesn't help anybody no, of course not. And also, if you think about what you've been through in relation to that kind of psychiatric referral, so that could have been, I think you've obviously done such amazing things in relation to your illness. But imagine if you kind of stayed in that system unnecessarily, you know, being in hospital, we know that, you know, psychiatric hospitals and, and things like that are really, really quite dangerous and impactful places for people sometimes, um, especially if they're not utilized properly. And you could have that kind of revolving door, couldn't you? You could be discharged. And then if you feel slightly unwell again, you might have to go back inside, you know, and that could have really been awful for you. And I know like when I was talking to some of the girls there they've been in like two three four times and like you said it's it's a cycle and I was like I couldn't I couldn't be doing this like I'd have to to do something to help myself get better um but yeah it's it's hard like they they do do activities and they try and encourage people so like they used to do charity baking so I'm like oh I love baking and I was like I'll do charity baking like you know for children in need and they were like no you're not allowed to because um you haven't proven that you're going to be safe around food and like dealing with food I was like oh my gosh like what do I do with myself and then like they used to go for like a walk outside for like 10 minutes a day just to get some fresh air and it's like oh like I, you know fresh air I love a walk they're like no 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 you're not allowed because you know you haven't proven yourself so like when I stepped outside I was like life like oh my like I just didn't think I was going to walk out alive and you'll laugh because my my, my room like looked right over um TGI Friday all I could think about was sweet potato fries <laughs> amazing and my mum my would come every day like 
could travel an hour just to oh. see me. And then I said to her, I was like, I just really, really want sweet potato fries. Like that is what's in my mind. So on the day that I came out, it was like lunchtime. So we were like, right, we'll go, we'll go. Got sat down and I was like, can I have sweet potato fries, please? And they were like, no, the fry is broken. And they were like, you oh, can have a salad. No! have a crappy salad I was like oh all the days I've been dreaming of it for like two weeks I can't believe it's always the way though isn't it it's always the way this safe is that why you're because one of the reasons we absolutely love your profile is because something Sarah and I are very passionate about and it's obviously something I do for a living is mental health and the importance of mental and physical health being you know concentrated on as a whole is that why you're such an advocate for psychological health as well yeah 100 and obviously like you know when you've got an illness it is very physical and mental you know you can't have one without the other so I think it's really important and also like I didn't want people to come onto my profile and think it's just chronic illness I wanted to make sure it was there was something for everyone and like I just mixed it up a little bit and that people can like overlap because it is something that you know people can relate in different ways so yeah that's what I really really like hoped for from it and again I think that's what I tried with my podcast as well at first I just shared chronic illness stories and I just did chronic illness topics and like as the season's gone on I've tried to you know especially through COVID I tried to get business owners on because there's a lot of like new businesses to kind of empower people even with chronic illness they could maybe start something on the side that was for them and that if like people have done it from home they can maybe do it as well. And I think it's like that transition that obviously just broadens the whole audience as well. Absolutely. When did you write your books? My food and travel books were 2016 when they were a bit, they were a bit rubbish. It wasn't my best um, time, I think, because I was like so low. And again, I didn't really know what to do with myself. I had all these hours in the day. I lived on my own. I was ill all the time and I thought that was the time when I had to kind of experiment with food because I was becoming intolerant to so many things and I went to America and of course America's a lot lot of dairy a lot of everything on a plate (laughs) (laughs) everything I can't really eat trying to like adapt recipes so that maybe people could enjoy that like certain food type but obviously with their intolerances and like mix it up a little bit and that was kind of my way of like dealing with the fact that you know I love food but trying to get a way around it not hurting me we understand that sister (laughs) yeah that's how I dealt with it at the time with like transitioning down that route and obviously when I was diagnosed with Lyme I was like right I need to like tell my story a little bit because I I work closely with Lyme Disease UK and I had a lot of a lot of people come to me and they because they think you're admin they're like you're not poorly you're you're fine you're you know you're out you're doing this you're doing that and I'm like I am, I am still poorly like I, I just I'm quite good at like putting the brave face on and getting up and doing it because I worked for my dad's business and I had to be around business people a lot even when I was ill so you know they don't see the fact that you cry behind the, the door and you're like really getting yourself worked up <laughs> and um you have to go out to the world and like put that brave face on and I had many times when I had to ring the police because people were going to commit suicide in the group because they like were at wit's end and I had to support them. And I thought, right, I need to share my own story and give, again, give them a piece of content that they could read that maybe brought them comfort or they could relate to and even hopefully be like empowered by the fact that it, it does start with your mindset. Like if you allow your disease to like beat you, then it will beat you. If you get up and think, no, I'm going to make the most of it. And it's, it's it's hard because 
life with chronic illness is difficult. It really is. But again, we've only got one life. It's not gone to plan. Um, but we've got to make the best of it. And I don't really want to live with regrets or look back and think I just sat in a dark room and was playing the victim for seven years and I've wasted like my 20s or whatever. You want to get up and do something. You want to still make, you know, a life for yourself. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, you well, you know, Sarah and I talk about that quite regularly in relation to, you know, us yeah. being quite stubborn and it and kind of our IBDs not not stopping us from doing stuff obviously we we can't do absolutely everything we want to do maybe within the time scale Sarah and I want to do it because we're quite similar with a lot of things you know you mentioned earlier Safe, that you have gone down like a kind of herbal route do you take kind of alternative medication I mean we wouldn't call them medication I guess but do you take kind of a bit more of a natural medication to to manage your symptoms or yeah so it's all it's all very herbal like a lot of vitamins a lot of like probiotics prebiotics um a lot of like vitamin d powders that I have to like boost my immune system because lime suppresses the immune system I have like kidney support I have vitamin k vitamin a vitamin e um I have so so many vitamins <laughs> How long does it take you to take them in the morning, so? My friend, like, always makes fun of me. It's like, we look like, like, a drug dealer. Like yeah, we- <laughs> I was going to say, when you go travelling, do you have uh, an extra check? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to America in two months' time, and I obviously I'm, I'm on more medication now than pre-COVID because, like, obviously my condition's got a bit worse. My organs aren't as... Uh, on point as they were two years ago so I'm like a bit conscious because they're quite strict over there but I'm thinking because it is all herbal it's not like I'm you know taking like heavy drugs or anything so I'm hoping that's okay but yeah the customs of- over there are really scary <laughs> and they're the worst <laughs> they like- are honestly say they are really scary <laughs> but yeah like, I know that I'm like a letter from my consultant and in my like medication list and everything like that so hopefully I'll be okay you'll be fine just carry your laminated <laughs> letters that's what you need it's so good though like I love it because like when you go over there like they're so laid back I love the fact that everyone says hi especially on the west coast as well everyone says hello and good morning and if you yeah. you know if you walk through central London and said good morning to someone <laughs> can you imagine the response <laughs> yeah I think it's wrong with you because you did it I listened to one of your podcasts on really cool places to travel yeah when you've got a chronic illness I found that really really interesting because I was quite not surprised but I thought it was really cool how many because I think you listed Milan Berlin and Poland in relation to those places being really really kind of well equipped in relation to like physical stuff as well like the pavements and and then in relation to diets and being able to get different rooms and stuff and I find that really interesting it's it's completely different like especially I don't know if it's the same like down south and things but up here like if you go to a restaurant and like obviously when I order a pizza I can't have cheese so I'm just like can I have the tomato base with some like veg on it and they just like look at you and like margarita you make them fresh like your oven's behind you like I just don't want any cheese like you can charge me for the cheese but I don't want any cheese yeah I can't I just yeah. can't have Sarah and I always laugh about this because you do like some like waitresses and waiters are so lovely and like really yeah. kind of involved in that you know they want to talk about it and others just think you're being a dick I'm not I just Trust me, I'd love to have the cheese on the pizza, yeah. you know, from your point of view, I'm sure, but I, I can't. But then you go abroad and you say, like, please may I have, like, without cheese? And they're like, yeah, no problem, yeah. not an issue. And that's another thing that's amazing about America. You never feel too fussy. 
No. Because it's born and bred in America, really, isn't it? That you have it on the side or with that, yeah. all of the ingredients by I, one. <laughs> I'm loving hearing the comparisons between like my North American culture and your culture. <laughs> so it gets so just commonplace. And especially in Canada, actually, after living in London for quite a while, I went back to Canada just on like a trip home. And I do remember the cashier when I was paying for groceries was like, how's your day going? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm home. We talk to people. <laughs> Whereas in the UK and like in London paying for my groceries, there was like no conversation. But yeah, definitely. I mean, I used to be a waitress and the customer is never wrong. Um, yes, so true. <laughs> get whatever that, they want. But the, the thing is like in Canada and the States as well, isn't it? Like tips are like a massive thing. Whereas in England, yeah. everyone's tight as a duck. Yeah aren't they so like but in Canada and the states like you work for your tips so you so gen- generally people are really friendly as well aren't they for a purpose you know for a long time I wouldn't go out for food because I was embarrassed I thought I was going to be judged and I thought I wasn't going to get something that you know wasn't going to upset me because they hadn't listened to me so I really wanted to make sure that I did that because I love travel and I didn't want other people not to travel because of their intolerances or think that they couldn't go because they were in a wheelchair um, and it wasn't going to be accessible because so many hotels now have like set rooms, they have set entrances, they, you know, they do as much as they can to involve everybody because chronic illness, unfortunately, is a growing issue globally. So they're going to have to adapt. But I just didn't want people feeling like they were going to be trapped in the house and not go out um, and they, they couldn't go out because they, they couldn't be accommodated for. That's that's what you do best. I think you raise awareness. You're really informative, say on your Instagram page. You mix it up though with your life, which I loved. Really important to have that mix because it's you're you're informing people of what's going on with regards to health conditions, but also you're, you do all these really cool things as well, which I think is amazing. Like, I hate it, but my mum always does it. Like when I'm hooked up to the IV and I'm looking at an absolute, like just a zombie, she'll always like take a photo of me and I'm like at the time I'm like what are you doing but then like afterwards I'm like actually I I probably need to like post this to show that I do actually have my bad days I also have days where I go out with my friends I go out with my family I do things for like work and whatever um to like show that it's not like if you're bedridden you have to stay bedridden like there is ways around it and we live in a a world that is quite fast-paced but it's growing and maybe COVID helped in a way to the to the point that like pe- more people worked at home so there was more jobs going that was like home-based so that maybe opened a lot of doors up for people who can't go and work in an office they can't do a nine-to-five but they can be more flexible hours and I think like I said you know it's, it's ever-changing and, and it's going in the right direction kind of for us and the fact that we're learning to be more flexible. Interesting isn't it I think people who cannot get into an office space for any reason that we know it could be physical or psychological but feel like comfortable and confident working from a home environment how amazing would that be if more people could now work from a remote capacity and have that kind of fulfillment and purpose and structure and routine in their day that they might not have had the opportunity to have before and I love that something that was really interesting for me because I swear blind that sport got me through Crohn's especially when I was really young it was I wasn't by any means like you I know you're an athlete like you said you trained all the time didn't you in between school and I know you were at the the youth olympics weren't you smashing it and can I just say anyone that's not really aware of swimming which everyone really is but like safe obviously your stroke was butterfly which is you know come on that's like the badass stroke do you know what I mean that is badass you've got to be very very good to be doing butterfly anyway anyway especially in that did you break a record 
Was it? Did yeah. you break an English record? I broke a British record at 14. Yes, sister. Yeah. <laughs> did that. Did, I, was, I was talking to Sarah about this earlier. Because when you're training to be an athlete, physically and mentally, that's such stress. You would have gone through so much up until that point anyway because of that training you did. Do you think that with your swimming has helped you with your Lyme disease? The discipline, 100%. The routine, 100%. I always preach that routine is the way forward. Like it keeps you focused. It keeps you motivated. It just it gives you structure to the, in your life that you, once you've like looked back on the day and you think, right, well, I got up at eight o'clock, I had lunch, I made tea, I did I did a wash, um, I did like some emails. You can think, actually, yeah, I have been productive. I have done something in my day. Rather than not having that routine and like forgetting what you've done, you don't have that time to reflect back and, you know, see what you've done really. You're just kind of walking through life just like oblivious. And I, I just think it really, really does help. And it just I always preach it. I just say routines everything. And again, the discipline of like time management, um, being determined, being stubborn, being like constantly motivated and having to pull yourself out of dark places a lot because as, as an athlete, you do experience failure, you do experience setbacks, you do really experience hard training where you don't feel like you're moving forward and you have to go through all that you you know you experience injury as well so all of that combined really helps me like now it get into that frame of mind and become like an athlete again and just think right I need to do this need to do that I want to do that in life yes okay I don't feel like I'm moving forward right now but it doesn't mean that I give up because I'm probably on the edge of a breakthrough I just need to keep going and that's not to say that you need to be ultra productive, not rest and burn out. Because again, with that athlete state of mind, it's very easy to reach that burnout point because you are training at a high standard. And the same with chronic illness. If we feel good, we want to eat what we want to eat. We want to do this, we want to do that. And we quickly burn out because our bodies just are what they used to be. And, you know, we hit a wall. I know that I really want to have like a great weekend out or I want to do this. I want to see family. So I know that I need to block out two days just to kind of... day before to kind of rest up to it and a day after to kind of recover but before I'd just go all out because I wouldn't know my limits it's a bit like alcohol when you turn 18 you don't know your limits you go all out it's about learning and adapting and with chronic illness it's it's very hard to adapt because you're having new symptoms all the time but again it's it's hard because it's upsetting when you've got a new symptom but I always try and see it as a challenge like right there's something else on my plate now how am I going to deal with it how am I going to adapt this into my life that's how I see it really what is next for our soap you're already an author you already blog you're already on Instagram spreading all the love what is next I think what I obviously I'd love to keep growing the podcast I I enjoy doing two series a year because I think that's kind of enough like it gives me a break and it gives me time to record and everything like that and think of new topics to discuss but I'm kind of now looking well I'm in the process of kind of creating like jewelry that I will yeah that'll sell and donations will go to Lyme and Invisi Youth so Invisi Youth um, basically support youths and young adults who deal with chronic illnesses and that's something that I really wanted to do really try to bring designs in that are like of empowerment but also show chronic illness as well because I just hope that people will wear them and just see them as a, a form of motivation empowerment 
Wild reminder, isn't it? Yeah, like I love my jewelry, so it was something that I really was like passionate about doing. I love it, but your podcast that. is awesome, though, safe because I mean, I love it. Sarah loves it. It's again, it's a really good mix of everything, just like your Instagram and your website is. It's got a bit of everything for everyone, which I think yeah. is really important for everyone who's listening to know. It's it's not just about Lyme disease. It's about loads of different stuff, nutrition, mental health, travel, reflecting on yourself, self-growth, self-development, things like that. So I think your podcast is amazing and we're really looking forward to it. And Sarah, can you take note? Sophie said two seasons a year. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Dave, I don't know if you realize, but you have made this season 24 episodes. (laughs) Sophie, I, I nearly had a heart attack because Sarah was like raring to go for season two and she yeah. was like right I, I think we should do two episodes a week and I literally was like Sarah you see for real well like, I don't do any of the editing for a start so I was like are you feeling okay <laughs> just gonna say how much work it is between the two of us to do everything like I couldn't imagine doing it alone so, and we just schedule ours like a month in advance I never say if I never know what's going up I just start seeing <laughs> likes and stuff and usually comments from you actually usually yeah. comments from you like yes this I agree and I'm like oh okay something's gone up <laughs> let me see <laughs> give yourself some credit cast us a caption it's really funny they say because we another way that we're like chalk and cheese is that I I get really like worried and stressed about language being used like about health and then Sarah obviously is really 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 Sarah about like the graphics and stuff which I obviously am useless with so like I I really freak out with language around stuff and I'm like I don't think we need to do that and I think uh, and Sarah's like I think we should clarify only language regarding health she does write all of our episode titles I can take no credit for those (laughs) that is a hundred percent cast yeah because she's like babe why are you worrying about us saying this and you called the last episode if only I had a phobia of dickhead men I'm like okay good point because <laughs> I'm like I she's don't particular. want to offend anyone and then she's like same <laughs> I'm like yeah good point <laughs> I, was, I was a bit like that with like posting things about like my health and stuff because I'd have people like dming me like it's okay for you you can do this like you're fully fine and I'm like I'm not I'm trying to post a little bit of everything but yeah. you don't you are offending you're like trying to empower yeah. people there's always going to be someone that comes for you with no, no matter what you do that's what I struggle with and Sarah knows that I'm not on social media at all so yeah. and I haven't been for a very long time and I think that's the thing I really struggle with you can literally do everything perfect and people come oh. after you for that rush of adrenaline on themselves to be like oh I pointed something out or oh they get a high or some kind of ego boost or something off of it. So no matter what you post, you could literally say anything and somebody out there will find some kind of criticism like, oh, your nails aren't done perfectly. Or like, I've heard people literally send messages about, oh, your nails are chipped. Why are your nails chipped? And I was like, really? But <laughs> you have nothing else to worry about in life right now. <laughs> I get really like upset about them and get a bit defensive. But now I'm just, I just kind of, I realised that it's like with judgments and all of that, it's more a reflection on them. They really want me to come back and like rant or get defensive or get upset. And it's it's just better not to give that sort of reaction. Kill with kindness, so. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's just focusing on everyone that you have helped and people that you have reached. And honestly, if you can just reach like one or two people and make them feel better, then I think you've accomplished something significant. Thank you. Yeah. Be safe. I know we're going to wrap things up in a minute, but there's one thing I have to say that I absolutely loved 
from one of your podcast episodes and I can't remember I don't know if I'm going to say it right so you're gonna to have to correct it for me because I'm gonna steal it I'm gonna plagiarize it from you <laughs> because I love it so much so it was something along the lines of what I don't have in tits I make up in wit oh yeah <laughs> how amazing is that because I say so I'm very similar so I always call my boobs my pecs because everyone finds that <laughs> really funny basically I've just never had boobs like ever and I think again when you're younger you're really like oh my god like this is I used to wear two wonder bras to school I was really self-conscious about it and but now I just like rip the mickey out of myself like I do about everything and I just I'm just like do you know what I don't care I don't have to wear bras half the time and my friends do and you know exercising is really cool because I've got no boobs and I just call them my pecs but I loved that from one of your episodes I thought that was amazing so I'm going to steal it well I thought like that was kind of an important frame of mind for me because when I was in school I was very conscious like you that I didn't have anything everybody else's were growing and I just didn't have anything and I was like 18 I'm gonna have a boob job that was what I was gonna do and then obviously when I got ill with Lyme and I lost a lot of weight I realized that I wanted people to see my heart and like see my inner beauty rather than my outer beauty and that was when they really switched in my mind that that is what matters it doesn't matter what you look at like like on the outside because your outer shell ages, but inner beauty never never ages, it never fades. And when you leave this, this world, your heart is what made the impact. Your heart is what you're remembered for. The right people will always accept me for me. It's so true. Um, I think as you get older as well, you get more confident and comfortable within yourself. But I love that. That was one of my favorite. I was literally pissing myself listening to that. I was like, <laughs> yes, so I hear it. <laughs> it's so true. I love that you realize that at such a young age, though, because Cass is right. Like, as you get older, you get more confident. And like, I to be so insecure about things that now I just don't give a fuck about but when you're 18 like that's the peak time that you're usually so concerned about what other people think of you and staying on trend and looking good or like doing whatever my main concern was god forbid I wear the same outfit twice when I go out with friends like that was my focus when I was 18 for you to realize that at such a young age and be so confident in yourself like that's amazing I think like obviously when I was 18 that was when I started losing a lot of weight and when people are like calling me anorexic and stuff so I think I had to like get that skin because I was I still wanted to see my friends and I was still out in public and I even though it killed me and there was so many nights where I I literally I'd be in pieces before I'd walk out the door didn't think I could go didn't think I could face it I'd have to snap out of it and just be like myself and I think with anyone with like chronic illness you feel like you're losing yourself as well and I didn't want them to see the Sophie now like I wanted them to remember like the upbeat the positive the fun Sophie not the Sophie that was down depressed like feeling self-conscious so you force yourself to have to be okay with it and like confident to a certain extent people always assume when you put on weight that's the only time you feel crap and it's it's not right Sarah and I've had this conversation before you've you've gone from being an athlete and having an athlete's physique to losing lots of weight and I've I'm quite slim and when I'm unwell I lose quite a lot of weight and I just am bones yeah I've had a lot of comments made but people don't realize that actually when I see photos and I'm sure you've been the same, it makes you feel really sad because you don't want to look like that. You haven't done that on purpose. And I think people always assume a body image thing sometimes is just with when you maybe maybe have put on weight and you're feeling really pants, but it, it works the other way. My outer appearance isn't me. Even from listening to the two of you talk for the past like two minutes, one second you have people saying, oh, what's your diet plan? How are you so thin? I want to be you. And the next second you have people saying, you're too thin. You need to eat more. You need to be curvier. And I think that's part of our problem with society is there's so many different 
beauty standards. Like one second you're supposed to be incredibly thin. The next second you're supposed to have double D tits and no ass. And then you're supposed to have a massive <laughs> ass and everybody's out getting BBLs. It's so hard and different body parts will be in fashions. Like it's so much pressure, especially yeah. on women to keep up with these standards. When I think exactly what you said, it's all internal and it matters about your soul and your, who you are and how you treat people. It's not so much what your body looks like and how you're perceived. And I think you raised like a really good point, the fact that trends do change every every few weeks, it seems. Changing your body to fit a trend, you need to just be you because you could go through so many different trends to try and fit fit a mold. But like you are your own superpower, like you are unique. You bring your own magic to the table. You don't need to be anybody else. Yeah, okay, you might not have the big bum or whatever. But like you were saying, in three years' time, It'll be the flat ass that comes back in. Fingers crossed, so the flat ass will be back. (laughs) Was there anything else you wanted to add today, Sophie? I I think we've covered a lot. (laughs) I was just thinking that. I was literally just thinking that. It's been so interesting to hear your story. It's been so lovely seeing you, Sophie. You're an absolute beaut. Yeah, thank thank you so much. See you later. Bye, Sophie. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. We have a lot of exciting interviews coming up. Definitely subscribe so you don't miss an episode and follow us on Instagram at pop to the loop podcast for a bit more content on a daily basis and some behind the scenes images. Yeah. Everything will be linked in the description so you can find everything there. Love you guys. Love you.